Greetings and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you at 7.10 p.m. on Monday, November 21st, 2022, from a frigid yet beautiful Sunderland, Massachusetts. The day was gorgeous. It was just very cold. Um, The weather finally took a turn. I guess it was first of the week last week, and we finally got over that abnormally strange warm weather uh, to the point where we were having, well, I don't know what we had on Thursday where I work. Uh, We had snow combined with rain and a little bit of sleep because it wasn't totally cold enough to snow, but it it was cold enough that it wasn't just rain either. So uh, winter is finally approaching and uh, the Juncos are going crazy at my feeder, which considering they're snowbirds, the uh, earlier they show up in the, in the autumn, uh, the less good a sign that is for the winter we have coming. Um, although they do generally show up this time every year, but uh, there've been so many of them. I'm a little bit nervous about, what it's going to be like a month or so from now. But for now, today was beautiful, just cold, so I can deal with that uh, much better than I can with it being warm this late in the year. So, uh, yeah, everything is going well here. I have to admit I was a bit taken aback by the weather in Texas when I was there last weekend, Um, this past weekend. I went with the team to the Texas A&M game which was absolutely epic for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with this podcast, so I won't go into any detail, but uh, the weather was crap. It was about 40 degrees and pouring rain and windy, so for those of you who don't think it ever gets cold in Texas, bite your tongue, it was miserable. In fact, it was nicer weather here in Massachusetts than it was in Texas over the weekend. But that's a whole other story for a different podcast, I assume. Uh, So I'm sure you're curious as to what species we're going to be discussing tonight. And this one is one that I would have never given much thought to, period, about anything. (laughs) But uh, tonight I thought I would take a few minutes to discuss the black abalone with you. Now, never mind the fact that that sounds like some kind of MCU Avengers character or something. Uh, Black abalone is a species of edible mollusk, um, and it's widely considered a delicacy. Um, I guess I never have really thought about eating abalone. When I think of abalone, I think of jewelry. And all that cheap jewelry that my sister and I always insisted that my parents buy us when we were at the beach, um, that was probably plastic and not actually real abalone. But as I got older, I would see, you know, like abalone shell earrings. And um, as I got back into my fountain pen obsession, there are some absolutely beautiful yet completely unaffordable fountain pens that are inlaid with actual abalone shell. So, you know, I suppose I only ever thought of abalone as being used in jewelry, which it is, but more on that in a moment. So what are the abalone's physical characteristics? Well, they can actually, the shells can actually grow up to eight inches long, which makes them uh, pretty large for a mollusk, maybe the size of a man's fist. Um, They are found on the California coast all the way to northern Mexico. And uh, there are 56 species of abalone that live on the west coast. And the black abalone are the most critically endangered. 
Um, they have a lifespan of between about 25 and 30 years. And they move very slowly. They basically crawl by using their foot. And if it's threatened, a black abalone will clamp down on a rock, just like sucker itself to a rock almost the way an octopus can sucker itself to something with its tentacles. A black abalone will use its foot, and if it sucks onto something, it's not moving. Um, and they actually feed on kelp and algae, which surprised me because I think of mollusks as being filter feeders and I suppose I uh, take everything in the mollusk world as if it were an oyster and we know oysters are filter feeders which is why people get grossed out by thinking about eating them I don't eat them raw but I do love oysters too but my my initial impression was oh a black abalone is going to be a filter feeder well, they do lie on the bottom of the ocean, but they actually eat kelp. And what, which kind of kelp they eat depends on where they're found. Um, if they're off the coast of California, they feed on giant kelp and feather boa kelp. And if they're found off the coast of northern Mexico, they eat what is called bull kelp. Um, and they live in the intertidal zone, which is not where you would think of a lot of creatures uh, existing because it is in the shallows in the this part of the ocean that is the fine line between the high tide and the low tide line. And it's considered the roughest area in the ocean because of that. There's uh, not much protection from predators because it's very shallow waters um, and they're very susceptible uh, most creatures are very susceptible to the changes in pH and oxygen levels and increasing temperatures in that part of the ocean. But the black abalone has evolved to be very resilient to living in the intertidal zone. Um, they were harvested by indigenous people for food and for currency and to be made into fish hooks. Uh, the shells were traded, and I found this interesting, but it just goes to show you how uh, widespread the indigenous populations were back then. The shells were traded from Southern California coast to east of the Mississippi. Um, and the shells were, are very strong, so they made very sharp fish hooks. Um, the, uh, the sexual reproduction of black abalone is interesting and again something I would have never given any thought to until I started researching uh, the species. Uh, males reach sexual maturity when their shells are between an inch and a half and two inches long so relatively early in their lifespan maybe like two or three years old um, and they reproduce by what is called broadcast spawning <coughs> excuse me which is basically where the females release their eggs into the water, the males release a cloud of sperm into the water, and they hope for the best. Uh, if fertilized, the uh, eggs will hatch in one day, and then they will settle to the bottom of the uh, intertidal zone where they will start to build up their shell and eventually reach their own level of maturity. Um, Obviously, it works better if the males and females are in close proximity. Uh, 
But the sad thing is, for reasons we'll discuss in a moment, there are relatively small populations now of black abalone, so it makes it very difficult for broadcast spawning to be successful. It's not the most successful way to reproduce in the natural world anyway, but um, the small populations make it even harder to repopulate the species, so the black abalone is up against it on several levels. Uh, they were the, once the most abundant marine mollusk on the West Coast, but then in 1985, the population uh, underwent an 80% decline due to something called withering disease. And withering disease is basically a bacteria that will get into the digestive tract of a black abalone and basically starve it to death because it atrophies the digestive system and they starve from the inside out. So if you add that to the fact that they had been overfished for their meat and for jewelry, as I mentioned before, uh, they have been critically endangered by commercial harvesting in Mexico. And there have actually been laws regarding harvesting enacted in California that have made the California populations fare a little bit better. Um, you, you can only harvest them by skin diving, which is basically free diving. You can't have a scuba gear on and harvest black abalone, which makes sense because you could stay down there indefinitely and just harvest as many as you want. Um, but you can only take a certain number when they reach a certain size and in certain abalone harvesting seasons. So in much the same way that there are controls to hunting seasons, you know, you can only kill the young male deer and you can't uh, take a deer out of season and you can't kill a female, those sorts of regulations. That is what California has done with their marine regulations um, to protect the black abalone but they are still very much overfished in Mexico and there are no such regulations in Mexico to protect the populations. Um, and one other thing I found interesting that has endangered the black abalone is, believe it or not, wildfires. And you're like, wait a minute, wildfires are on the land. What the hell does that have to do with the ocean? Well, what has happened is it's all indirect, but of course wildfires when forests are completely destroyed, leave the land open to mudslides. And there have been landslides and mudslides that have completely buried the intertidal zones in California in some areas under feet of mud. So the abalone are basically getting buried alive by what's going on on land. So it's believed that tens of thousands of abalone in general and in specific the black abalone have died due to landslides. Um, there have been 200 individuals that were uh, taken to a lab uh, in California to see if captive breeding programs could work, but that's not the preferred method of conservation because if you think about it, the fact that they're so resilient is in fact why they are not easily forced to spawn in captivity. Because scientists can't quite figure out what triggers the spawning uh, in, in the wild in order to re replicate the conditions in a lab. So really the preferred method of conservation for a black abalone 
is to translocate them. Uh, so there are science scientists who have discovered four locations off the coast of California that are particularly hospitable to the black abalone, and they are working to trans to translocate populations that will have a better chance at breeding. Um, and also scientists have found ways to track withering syndrome to see if there's any way they could stave it off if another outbreak occurred. And the most important thing that's being done to help the black abalone is educating people on why they're important to the ecosystem. You know, I mean, if all you see is this pretty shell laying in the mud in a tidal pool, you're not going to, you could, you know, oh, that's pretty, I want that shell. And you're going to take the black abalone, but if you understand what kind of role they play in the ecosystem, you're going to be much more likely to leave them alone when you find them. So uh, I would say that educating the public with any endangered species is the most important thing we can do, but especially with black abalone because they're a type of creature that people don't really think about when it comes to conservation rights. You know, we all think of, oh, well, we have to save the tigers and the rhinos and the giraffes and the elephants and, you know, and the uh, pangolins and all the animals that we've had exposure to through the media and just through our general knowledge. But the black abalone, they're just fly there in the ocean. People don't necessarily care as mollusks the same amount about that they do mammals and, and you know, maybe insects. You know, maybe mesothelia because we know what the case of mesothelia is, but have we ever really given any thought to what lives in the ocean?